So bear with us just for a couple of minutes while we um, resituate the stage. Uh, we'll be bringing on our next couple of uh, panelists. We've got Nick Salmon from Discovery Bank. We've got Cheslin Jacobs from Time Bank. And we will have the incumbents represented by Valentine Jingura from FMB. Okay, so we've had an interesting discussion by one of the co-founders of the Neo Challenger Banks. And yeah, now we're going to have a wider discussion on what's exactly happening in this space. So if you're from the incumbents of which quite a few of you are, you're probably quite curious as to what's happening in their space. And we'll spend some time talking about that. So from Discovery Bank, um, I'm sure you're all curious about what's happening there. We had a presentation two years ago at our banking seminar. They gave us an overview, but now sort of rubber has hit the tar and it's getting very real and very hot in the banking industry. So we've got Nick who joined Discovery's Health and Vitality Actuarial Marketing Team in 2005, taking over the responsibility for the area in 2007. From 2010 to 2012, Nick became involved in some of Discovery's new business ventures, being seconded to Ping An Health in Shanghai to support setting up the product development and actuarial marketing um, functions, and in the application of the Vitality model to reducing motor accidents and short-term insurance with the launch of Vitality Drive and Discovery Insure. In 2013, Nick was selected to participate in the Discovery Executive Leadership Program at Said Business School in Oxford, and the project um, work led to the establishment of a cross-business research and development area, which now focuses on research and product development across Discovery, Vitality, Health Insurance, and now the retail banking portfolios. We've got Cheslin Jacobs. You've probably seen him on TV. He does a lot of um, the press for Time Bank, and he was there right from the beginning when the project even started within Deloitte, so also ex-Deloitte over there. He's the head of sales and service uh, at Time Bank, and he spent 10 years working in financial inclusion with specific focus on sales and distribution. He started his career at Standard Bank of South Africa, where he played a key role in the growth of community banking, now called Access Banking. Since joining Time Bank, Cheslin has focused on designing alternative sales and uh, channels and products, and he's all, he all, always wanted to be part of a team that develops financial services products that are affordable, accessible, and add tangible value to the lives of ordinary South Africans. He's been part of the Time Bank um, team, like I said, since the inception of the business in 2012. And representing the incumbents, we have Valentine Jingura. He's the head of pricing at FMB Business Banking. So that's the guy to talk to about that SME um, banking that we were talking about earlier and we're gonna put him to task to, to run with that. He has over 10 years experience in the financial services sector, servicing mainly the insurance and banking industries. His career began at an insurance company where he specialized in actuarial consulting for the healthcare and pensions industries. He was later offered a role as an actuarial analyst at Clientel Life Assurance with further exposure to systems implementation, data migration, as well as embedded value modeling, reserving, and pricing. In 2012, he joined FMB as a personal loads quantitative analyst with a strong focus on credit risk management. He was promoted to the head of pricing for FMB Business Banking in 2015, where he currently oversees the pricing strategy and its overall alignment to business objectives. He's a fellow of the Faculty of Actuaries in the UK and an affiliate member of ASA. He holds an honors degree in actuarial science from NAST in Zimbabwe and an MBA from Gibbs. So, let's start with Cheslin and Lazar. You've uh, both worked in large established banks and you're now in a neobank. What have been the biggest differences for you in how to navigate the two environments? Maybe we'll start with you, Cheslin. Uh, good afternoon, everybody, and, and thanks for having me. So, 
before I start, I, it's clear my marketing team needs to buff up my bio, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you sent this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's something I have to hand it over to the marketing team to add some glitz and glam on that thing. So, so, so the interesting thing with me is that, that I've actually spent more time on my career in, in these so-called neobanks than, than in a big bank. I spent four years at Standard, and I've, and I've essentially been with, with, with time for seven years. Um, and, and even though Standard Bank was essentially my first job, the, the difference are quite stark, and I think Lizanne made mention to it earlier around pace of, of the way these things can get done. Um, but I think the biggest difference is, is how you make decisions in these organizations. Um, and, and obviously with being with Time Bank from the start is that, that we must probably take a bit longer to make decisions today than we did seven years ago, but it's the speed of making a decision and then actually executing the work is chalk and cheese between between an organization like Time Bank and any other big organization for that matter, not, not only other banks. Um, and, but I think the challenges for big organizations and banks are always going to be real. They, they've been around for an extremely long time. They've played massively important roles in society. But at the same time, they have to protect shareholder value every single day. And, and, and they've got existing revenue streams and all those kind of stuff. So the trade-offs that they have to make I think are a lot more challenging than a, than a trade-offs a Time Bank or a Discovery Bank might or specifically a bank zero have to make in the future. But I think for me the biggest difference is our ability to make decisions quickly, to then mobilize our teams to execute against that and actually then implement something real, real quick. So, so I mean, our time from idea to, to implementation is, is, is lightning fast compared to, to anything else in the market at the moment. Okay. Lizanne? I think uh, quite another difference is because the teams are so small, um, we are 20 in Bank Zero at the moment. We'll scale up more when we get customers. Is that when we make a decision, which is which definitely is done in a different way, you cannot walk out and delegate it to the five experts or 20 experts sitting out there, who is the marketing expert, the legal expert, the risk expert, um, the actuarial expert. You have to do everything yourself. Um, and that's quite daunting. Um, what it does mean, though, is that you often do things from first principles. So you don't rely on somebody who has done, always done it in a certain way. And sometimes um, fools rush in where angels fear to tread, so you do something in a very different way, and afterwards it, it works out quite well. So I think it's also how you do decisions. I think, um, let's um, call it for what it is, the politics are different in a small business than in a big corporate and purely because you have humans everywhere. So also in a small business, you have very strong opinions and opinions that clash and personalities that clash sometimes. The difference is in a big corporate, you can sort of go and go to your area of the, of the building and you don't have to see that person for a while. In a small business, you look at each other every day. So you're forced to sort out the issue immediately. It doesn't brew and it doesn't um, become big. So I think that's a big difference as well. If, if I could add, I mean, I know Lizanne was giving advice around starting businesses. So when we started this thing seven years ago, we were 17, so a very similar number to, to the 20 at Bank Zero. But what I think one of the most important things was we had no HR department. Now, no, if there's any HR practitioners in the room, apologies. But, but why I'm saying that is that, that with the 17 of us there, we had a common goal. We knew exactly what we were trying to achieve. And that's what makes making decisions, going out to work, it's the 17 of you that have to make, get this work done. But without having, so I say the important thing was not having HR is that there was no job descriptions in our business. There was no 
formalized KPIs. The, so at the end of the day, when you make a decision to do something, nobody's going to tell you that's not in my job description. You know, so the interesting thing is that if, if you know the time bank journey is that we were then acquired by the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, who happened to be the 10th biggest bank in the world at the time by market cap. And guess what they did? First, developed an HR team in our, in our business. So, so we've, still got, we've still got it today, but that was one of the first things they did. But again, that's just, that's just big, big bank, big company thinking. So if you want to start something new, start without HR. And also no performance reviews in a small business, which is fantastic. You don't have to go to a performance review and you don't have to conduct a performance review. That's fantastic. <laughs> I guess the, the, the issue is that the, the consequences are real-time. <laughs> okay, that's quite interesting. Now, Valentine, I'm going to put you on the spot. So this rapid emergence of these neobanks has been rather unsettling for the incumbents, and you're not allowed to say it hasn't been, because I know it has. I, we come from the same home. How are you and your peers preparing for potential reduced market share? I guess it's already here, and possibly increased systemic risk. Okay, just uh, maybe as a start, just to clarify, anyone from NetBank, Standard Bank, APSA, please chip in and help, because <laughs> I'm, I'm here representing you, not just my, my employer. Um, but yeah, yeah, look, I mean, it's, 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 it's an interesting environment, um, and, and I guess competition is, is something that is uh, not always welcome, but that is good. So competition helps us to, I guess, innovate. It, it helps, I guess, the incumbents not to sit on their laurels, and it also has... I guess downstream benefits for the customers because at the end of the day, the customer will win by getting, I guess, better service or I guess to what Lizanne uh, alluded to earlier on is lower prices. Um, and if you, if you look at the South African, I guess, uh, economy, growth is very low. Uh, our bank rate is very high, so we, we are highly banked. There are some people who are still excluded. So, I mean, the, the way I see it is that the new banks basically are going to be picking off market share from, I guess, the existing banks. So, so we're basically, you know, a, a lot of the, uh, the customers that are going to go to Time Bank and to Bank Zero and, and Discovery Bank will be largely customers coming from, um, I guess, some of the, some of the big banks. And, and the way I see it is, um, at the end of the day, in order to protect shareholder value, there are possibly two strategies that are, I see playing out. So the first one is geographic expansion. So which means looking at uh, markets that are outside of South Africa to kind of expand and, and, and still, I guess, give back shareholders value. And uh, the second way that I, s I see the, the, the banks uh, uh, expanding is around, uh, around services and products. Uh, I mean, a, a, an example is, I don't know if you, if you guys know about FNB Connect, which is more, I guess, a, a telco play. And, and I think Standard Bank has got something similar. And also uh, banks uh, expanding into insurance business, underwriting insurance as well, just to kind of show up th those revenue streams that are, uh, I guess, are drying up very quickly. Um, so that's how I see, I guess, back banks uh, fighting off you know, the, the competition that is there in terms of uh, aside of innovating around products and making things better within themselves is also expand, expanding the products and services and also expanding their, their geographic reach as well. Okay, I'm going to challenge you on that for, in a moment. So Nick, um, you're at, you're at um, Discovery Bank. Now, do you see yourselves expanding into other products um, such as home loans, vehicle asset finance, etc. in the near future? We, we did hear a couple of years that that was going to be the case from day one. And also I'd like to hear from the other two Neo Challenger banks, but maybe let's start with you. Tell us uh, how you're planning to eat um, FMB's lunch also in these areas that they're saying they're expanding into. 
Um, thanks. Hi, everyone. Um, so, I mean, to start off with, uh, we, we are live today, which is, uh, I think, really exciting for us. Um, we are focusing primarily on the retail, um, retail segment to start, um, not in secured lending as a, as, a, as a starting point, but I think we will get there very, very quickly. Um, and, and we'll probably get there in a different form. I think that's really um, that's really how we're thinking about it because we think there's lots of opportunities to play in those spaces rapidly that don't require you to go to go down the traditional route. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so somebody said, I mean, Time Bank essentially is an extremely simple business. So we've we've always said that that we want to do a, very, a few things and we want to do them extremely well, and it's it's all about creating value for the customer. We know your 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 traditional bank type businesses, and I'm sure the Zan will know, home loans, all those kind of things, those are expensive businesses to set up with very, very low margins. Um, and as, as, as Valentine said, we've got relatively highly banked society uh, today. Um, but at Time Bank, we're also very reliant on, on building strong partnerships. So, so most people will know we've got the pick and pay boxer partnership, massively important to, to our business model. But so if we, if we were to go the home loans route or anything like that, we must probably get there a very different way as well and partner with somebody who's, who's got that expertise and potentially provide them a platform or, a or an existing customer base that's, that's highly engaged. But I can't see us building that businesses from the, from the ground up within our, with, within our operating model now. That, or that's not, on the, that's, not, that's not the way we've planned for it now, that's, that's at least. I can categorically say we are not going to um, start building those businesses. Um, it is expensive, you need big teams of people um, to run the credit scorecards and all those things. Um, no matter how much you automate it, it's still an expensive process. And I think that the South African market is quite overtraded in credit at the moment. So for us, it's very much about the marketplace concept as well. So partnering with those people that are best at credit, best at insurance, best at whatever the financial offering is, and we stick to our knitting, which is providing a very simple uh, transactional and savings product, but with good functionality. And that's why I prefer, and I like the idea that we refer to as neobanks rather than challenger banks. Um, a challenger bank for me is somebody that is there to take away huge market share. And I think there will always be a place for your banks that offer the whole suite of services. Um, and then for the neobanks, they do it in a different way. Just interestingly enough, if you look at what's happening with the neobanks in the UK at the moment, so Starling, Revolut, Monzo, Atom, all of those, if you look at entrants that are new to the market now, um, revenue, if you look at total bank revenue in the industry, 30% of that revenue is flowing to new banks, which is amazingly high. But if you look at total bank revenue from all customers, not only from new entrants, then it's only, it's less than 5%. So, but again, then Capitec was for a long time down there and then suddenly it was big. So, um, Valentine, I hope you don't have a false sense of comfort. So on the point of Capitec, um, so other incumbents have recently expanded their offerings. So for example, there's Capitec that's moving into the loan space. There's the resuscitation and now expansion of Africa Bank. Do you see the greatest threat coming from the incumbents or from the neo-challenger banks based on what's been said now and what is happening in the market? Well, I think uh, when, um, maybe just before I answer your question directly, what I'd like to say is actually, how Capitec came to be what it is today is because of they, 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 went, they, they were 
primarily a lender. So they, they were aggressively lending to a largely neglected market. And uh, I guess the transactional capability that they bolted on was almost like a secondary thing. And now oh, African Bank is almost doing the opposite, where, where they were a lender and then they didn't have a transactional product. But now they all of a sudden woke up and say, well, look, Capitec did it well. So we might as well just jump onto the gravy train as well. So uh, I think for me, the way I see it is is, is that, uh, and I guess it, it, this point is validated by, by what Cheslin and, and, and Lizanne said around uh, the, the neobanks not being interested, I guess, in some of the, I guess, capital-intensive products. So, so really where, I guess, as to uh, what uh, my CEO would say, the honeypot is that transactional product, and that's where the, the, the challenger banks are coming for. And that, for me, is where the big threat is. So not, not, no disrespect to the competitors, to our existing comp competition. Um, I think they, they are obviously doing a great job in keeping us on our toes. But I do think that um, the new banks coming in are a real threat because I think um, first first of all is I guess things like systems. So I think Cheslin spoke about how quickly it is to actually make decisions within a small organization, and and that that's where I think we almost get it's almost like our Achilles here, where we are saying we are a big organization, not very bureaucratic, but. Uh, you cannot you cannot compare an organization with forty thousand people against twenty people. You know, it's it's just not comparable. The the, the, the speed to actually make decisions, uh, uh, problem solving is much quicker. And as well, I think th th there's a lot of competitive advantage that the new banks have in in terms of technology. So so if if you think about I guess renovating a house to I guess modernize it versus actually building a new house from scratch. It might cost you a little bit more to build from scratch, but renovating is a pain because you have to, you know, you've got a wall where it shouldn't be, you have to knock it down. So so I, I see it that way. So in terms of I guess upgrading our IT technology to actually match what the market requires at the moment, it's it's much harder for a big organization like us than it is for a new bank that can basically start off from scratch build the right system for, 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 for the market, and then uh, make quick decisions. And, and that's where I think the challenge is coming from. And also, um, lastly, is so, so we, we, we have, uh, we as, as the incumbent banks have been used to getting a certain level of income. And I guess if you're a challenger bank and you're coming into the market, you know, any, 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 any a, anything, will, anything will do, right, at the moment. So, so you are happy to get, you know, the 500,000, maybe it's a bit more now, Cheslin, that the customers that you already have, because it's, 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 all, it's all adding up to your bottom line. Whereas on our side, we almost need to maintain and keep uh, growing and growing and growing, and the expectation from the market is that uh, we'll just keep growing and, and, and providing shareholder value. So the real pressure is on us, and I think the incumbents have got, uh, uh, well, easier job, if I can call it that. Okay, so um, let's go into sort of what's been happening within the um, neo banks at the moment. So for Nick and Cheslin, so you guys are live. What segments of the market, what type of customers have you seen to be the most receptive to your offering? And are you seeing people migrating all of their banking products? I guess in this case they can't because, you know, the home loans and the like. But in terms of those transactional um, accounts, do you see massive shifts like, for example, where you receive your salary? and or are people maintaining sort of their salaries within the incumbents? Because, like, for example, in the UK, yes, everyone's got a Monzo account or whatever else it is, but largely people still get their salaries in a Barclays or an HSBC. Yeah, 
Um, so, I mean, just from our side, it's uh, incredibly early days. Um, so, and we unfortunately aren't in a position to be able to disclose a lot of that type of information. Um, we, we're in a closed period at the moment, but um, I think high level, we're seeing very encouraging levels of take up. Our target was to get to 1,000 accounts per day by the end of August, um, when, our, when our closed period ends, beginning of September. Um, and we think we'll get, there, um, we'll get there ahead of time, which is, I think, for us really encouraging. Um, we've developed a full retail banking suite um, to, you know, if you think about our health business, we, um, we have the full spectrum of the market. We have 70% market share in corporates, for example, so we cover everyone from an employed perspective, um, from like your lowest income earner all the way up, so we're really trying to um, address all segments of the market in terms of the, in terms of the products. Um, yeah, so we, I, I think long and short is early days. We've got a we've got a full retail banking offering, and we'll have to see how it plays out. And you've disclosed as much as you can. Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just uh, um, I can't resist poking fun at, at Nick and Discovery, so I'm going to anyway. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not joking. It's it's actually quite. I mean, what Nick said was what I'm going to say. I think is a good indication of, of even though we both both new banks, is how different our organisations are, and 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 I think what our intentions and, and ambitions are, are, are starkly different. I mean, Nick's talking about a thousand customers a day ramping up to that. If, if we don't have that by 11 o'clock in the morning, we've got a crisis in our business. So, so just the scale at which at the way we've used technology to be able to acquire customers is vastly, vastly different. But also the, our operating models are vastly different. The customers we're going to, that we are, are actively pursuing is, is, is vastly, vastly different. And I think it's because our cost bases are vastly, vastly different in the way we, in, in the way we run these businesses. So, so what has been interesting for us, Kudza, um, is that, 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 that we, we are seeing things in, in our customer base that we didn't anticipate at all. And I think that's, that's the beauty of actually putting this thing in market. And, and you can test the living daylights out of this thing. You can throw out assumptions in your business case as much as you want. But until you're live in, in, in market, you'll never know what's going to happen. And one of the most interesting statistics we have in our business is that 20% of our customers today are 45 years and older. So you know that you know, industries love words, neobanks, digital banks. They like coining things for some reason. And then by, by coining that, you expect a certain behavior from a certain set of people. So, so again, yeah, we're a digital bank. We use technology. We don't have branches, all those kind of things. But 20% of our customers are 45 years and older. So you, if, if you reverse engineer that, so I'm going to try and be analytical now, uh, is that if you take the youngest customer in that segment, the 45-year-old, you'd argue that they have a, they've been in a banking relationship with an incumbent for at least two decades. At least two decades. Why in heaven's name do they have a time bank account? Right? And, and that's, that's the kind of analysis we're trying to understand is why are, why are these customers still trying to, to come with time is that They've been serviced, or so-called serviced, for 20 years at least. Right? What is, why suddenly are they, are they deciding to, to, to make the shift now? They wouldn't be necessarily your digital savvy, uh, typically you'd consider to be a digitally savvy customer. So, so, so those kind of data points are extremely encouraging for us. On, on the transactional stuff, again, is that, that, again, way, way beyond our expectation. We are, we are accepting a month on month 50 to 60% more deposits than we did the month before uh, across the base in, 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 in nominal RAND value. So what we've seen happen is, again, is that, that banking, I believe, in South Africa is an extremely emotive, is an emotive kind of industry. People are, have lots of, obviously, attachment to their, uh, to their money. 
And what we see happen is that people, so it's again, it takes five months to become a time bank customer. Uh, I saw an I saw a article that Discovery says it's going to take four. Um, so so we we'll, we'll see. Um, <laughs> but uh, but so it takes five minutes. So it's hassle free. You stand nothing to lose. It's free. If you open it, you don't. You, you've got no financial burden. If you choose not to use it, there's no financial burden. So yes, some customers go through it just for the heck of experience the technology. But again, we can afford that. Our cost base is extremely low. It's not, it's not costing us an arm and a leg to manage that customer. But what a lot of customers then tend to do is start off with very small deposits. So they're like, oh, we open this thing, let's check it, put it 50 bucks, 100 rand, use it a couple of times, and then realize, okay, this might be the real deal, and then suddenly start putting much larger amounts of money um, into those accounts. That's what I'm saying. So we've, in, in a very short space of time, we've almost done a, a, a billion rand of flows, and I might not also be able to disclose that, but I'm doing it anyway. We must probably, we've almost done a billion rand of flows, and that thing's growing aggressively. So, so again, all those signs are, are really encouraging um, at the start, um, and, and obviously the challenge now becomes is to sustain that growth and to maintain that into the future. The interesting thing that Valentine was saying is I remember um, I was in an interview with Michael a, a while back, and there was another analyst also talking about market share and stuff like that, is that that's their worry, that's not our worry anymore. Because he rightfully says every cent that comes to us is brand new. It means one less cent is going to, to, the, to, to, to the incumbents, which is extremely pleasing for us, obviously. But also it, it validates the fact that it's potentially something consumers have been wanting and have been asking for. Um, and, and, and I think the, as long as the end user, the ordinary South African, the man on the street is the beneficiary, I'd love to see 10 more banks come next year. Because that's what's going to keep all of us on our toes to make sure we're always working every single day to deliver value for the customer. And, and, and I mean, we could have debates about this all the time, but that's, that's the space the five big banks have enjoyed in this country for at least 20, at least 20 years, most of my lifetime at least, is that nobody was keeping them on their toes. And, and, and I think now that the introduction of Time Bank, Bank Zero, Discovery, who knows who's coming next? And, and, and we've got to make sure we're ready as, as, as the new challenge of banks uh, for, for, I think, what lies in the future. But again, the more the media, South Africans are going to be the beneficiaries, and I think that's the important thing. That's incredible. So you mentioned partnerships, and you, all three of you mentioned that you're going to take a different route. It's very mystical, very mythical. <laughs> um, but you didn't provide any details, as, aside from partnerships. Do you foresee there being a lot of mergers and acquisitions in the banking space in the near future? Um, I do understand that there are almost 20 banking license applications that are, are sitting um, with our regulator at the moment, but you know, I wonder if that's sustainable, and do you see yourselves being you know, picked up the way fintechs are being picked up and the collaborations that we're seeing across the globe? Is that something you guys are thinking about? And I think particularly, I guess, for Bank Zero and Time Bank on that. If Discovery, you see that, please chime in. So, so, I mean, we don't have the capital to acquire anybody, that's for sure. So, so that's, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Are you open to being acquired? <laughs> no, not at all. So, so, so I'm, sure you, I'm sure you know we, we, are, we are owned by, by ARC, so African Rainbow Capital. The nice thing about being in that, in, in that stable is that they've also got some other large investments in that portfolio that potentially allows for great synergies down the line. So, so, so they've got, they've got a ma I mean, they've, they've got insurance companies, they've got you know, um, asset managers, pension fund administrators, they've got a wide range of businesses in their portfolio, 
where we believe there might be some really good synergies for us in, in, in the future. But there's, I mean, uh, like Valentine says, they, the incumbents are looking for other ways to shore up their revenue streams. Is that we, like I said, all our revenue streams are new. I can't see us going to underwrite insurance. I can see us partnering with a big insurer that's potentially already in the ARC stable to offer a fit-for-purpose insurance product to our customer base. So when we say partnerships, that's what we mean. And, and I think we also, we're in the privileged position right now to be extremely fussy about who we partner with as well. Is that I'm, I'm sure in the same in the Bank Zero world is that we've got a partnership mailbox that is, we can't man that thing properly. Everybody thinks they can do work with Time Bank at the moment, so we're getting myriads of requests on a daily basis. And, and But I think that's a privileged position is that, that there's people out there seeing that, that what we're doing, they believe they could either add value or we could add value to, to what, uh, whatever customer sets there. But we fortunate enough right now to be in a position where we can be really fussy about that. And we'll only partner with people we believe can help us deliver real value to the customer. Okay, so finding partners is not your, your struggle. And Bank Zero? <laughs> Same. Uh, I was um, complaining actually the other day that in some ways I'm not being trained in how to be a true entrepreneur at the moment because a typical entrepreneur struggles for funding and needs to go out and beg and get second and third rounds of funding. And um, if we wanted to be acquired or merged, we could have done it a long time ago. So for us, it's a very specific principle um, not to involve uh, or to get involved in any M&A activity for us personally for a very long time. Um, as I said when, when I started, we want to make a difference. Um, and we believe that you make a difference with a very, very low cost base like we have at the moment and with the passion that we have. And anybody that we merge with, um, we're worried about sharing that same passion and it might be a very high cost base. Having said that, within the industry, if you look at m activity in general in the industry, um, I think it's going to start happening, especially with the fintechs. Um, there are so many amazing fintechs in South Africa. Um, and I'm sure you're also coming across all of them, all the emails and requests coming through of people wanting to, to get involved um, with one. Um, and I think there could be acquisitions happening. But I think it is the incumbents that is going to acquire some of the fintechs. So the other incumbents need to be aware, worried about it. And I think the biggest M&A activity is actually not within financial services ring fence, but from retailers into financial services, telecoms into financial services, etc. Um, there are a lot of other industries sniffing around in the financial services sector, as you would expect with all the conversions that's happening. So, could I, if I can weigh in on that. So, I think, for example, if, if you talk about acquiring, I guess, uh, some of the, uh, the, 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 the new banks, I, I, don't, I don't quite believe that uh, first round would be would have an appetite for that. I mean, if you look at, I guess, our, the banking landscape from 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 the uh, in, across the segments, whether you're talking consumer banking or retail banking, FNB is probably either first or second uh, in terms of market share, and and therefore I I don't think there's much appetite for for for, for acquisition. I mean, I say that quite humbly and respectfully, um, but also I think where there's potential is in the partnerships, right? And, and I think moving into this world of, I guess, API banking, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to actually now start to open up, um, I guess, um, uh, 
uh, and, and do import and export of data flows to ensure that whoever we're partnering with uh, to, to, to will, will, be able to, will be able to give our customers better value. So almost like there'll be a lot of specialist new companies that are coming into the market that can offer much better products uh, or certain products in a much better way than the, the incumbent banks can. And, and that's where I think the, the, the partnerships will, will arise. Okay, interesting. So, for Discovery Bank, you you guys sit on a nice balance sheet. Is is that is that something you're thinking about? <laughs> um, uh, no, I mean, I, I think if you just look at Discovery Group in general, we um, we tend when you start up a business, we tend to grow it organically. Um, done that across every single business line that we've um, that we've launched. We partner exceptionally well, though. We have very very big, um, very important partnerships that we focus and spend a heck of a lot of time working on. Um, that are that are mutually beneficial on both sides. Um, so, uh, I think to the extent that there there are opportunities to do more partnerships, um, but they you know they generally tend to be in in complementary areas where we're just not going to play. Um, having said that, though, fintech um, space is is really really exciting, um, and uh, you know we're spending a lot of time thinking about how we bring um, the things that you pick up. Outside of outside of discovery or outside of your you know you know your business into into the business, um, so it does require I think quite a different way of of thinking about partnering and, and how you and how you work with those companies. But I think it's, it creates massive opportunities. Okay, that's interesting. I think one of the um, nice observations I made in the last month is seeing how incumbent banks in the UK sniff around the sandbox. I guess our version of it is the sandpit um, for fintechs that are developing nice ideas where they're thinking, you know what, it's better for maybe an HSBC to get a fintech that's already creating something with the regulator and support them and then take an equity stake in that as opposed to a pure merger and acquisition play. So yeah, I'm, I'm quite excited to see how, including the neobanks, how you're going to interact with the regulator and the fintechs that are going to be developing their ideas um, in the near future. Anyway, I know we're running out of time and I'm hoping that there will be questions in the audience. So, I will trying to figure out which last question I'll throw to the audience. We've we've spoken a bit about um, fintechs, but let, let's let's talk a bit about the the changes. So to close this off, what do you envision as the most significant change we should expect as a result of what we've been talking about? So is it systemic risk? Is it market risk? Is it is it just market share? I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely the wrong it's guy to talk hole. to about risk. That's for sure. Um, what 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 I think the biggest change, and like I said, for me the with 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 my mandate at Time Bank is all about how we how we create real value for customers. Is what I think is going to start happening over over the next couple of years. Is that this banking world is going to become a lot more transparent. It's going to become a lot more simple for customers to understand. And and I think once we've get got get a lot more information out there, I think South Africans will will then be equipped to make much better decisions about about their money matters and and I, and I think that's arguably been in my opinion the biggest call it downfall of 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 the incumbents I don't believe they've done enough of that over the years um and I can I can sing off a thousand personal stories and and what my journey's been 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 in that but I think that's going to be the biggest change I think I think the audience of Africans can understand this world a lot better which will then allow them to make much better financial decisions going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, sorry, it's working. Um, I mean, I think I have to. I have to kind of agree with that. I think just kind of looking forward. If I think about the way we're thinking about banking, um, 
we, we, we really are looking to apply a model that's worked in almost every other vertical in financial services into, into retail banking. We think historically there's been a com quite a big misalignment um, of interests between the clients um, and what's good for the bank. And uh, we think there's a massive opportunity to, to disrupt. I think it's, it's excellent for clients. It's excellent for people who, who are looking to innovate in the space. Um, so I think, you know, in that respect, we at least are hoping to see massive change where consumers are empowered to kind of take far more control of their financing, get value for money out of what they're doing. We're really looking to get people to bank better and manage their money better, just like what we've done in, in healthcare and in other financial services areas. If we get people to exercise, their health claims are lower, um, so we can deliver more value back to them. Similarly, if we can get people to manage their, manage their money better, um, we know already that you know, your, your default rates drop dramatically. Um, it's a more profitable clients. Um, half a million clients and a hundred, what, what was it, a billion round of inflows. We'll, we'll look to do a lot more than that, I think. Um, so, <laughs> so um, I mean, that's, but, but I think. Not in four months, Nick. <laughs> But I, but, but I think to I think to Chesan's point, it's I think you're going to see dramatic change, and I think it's already happening overseas, and I think um, we you, you'll see it you'll see it here as well. Yes, Suzanne. So I definitely I agree. Is um, this is the time for the customer now? Um, it is about um, involving more customers, uh, providing better value to customers. Um, Chisley, you were talking earlier about the rand of revenue flowing to the incumbent and now flowing to you. Uh, I'd prefer to see it as the rand of customer money that used to flow to an incumbent. 90 cents now remains in their pocket and only 10 cents flow into the incumbents and, and the neobanks. I think it's definitely time for banking to become more affordable, to be more accessible, to be more transparent, to be more customer friendly. And that is where we're going. It's, you can see it happening with the neobanks and with the, the incumbents as well. Okay. Uh, I think, for, for lack of a better word, I think it, it's, it, re it really has... Uh, come down to a, almost like a bare knuckle bar fight now, um, if I can call it that, because I mean, uh, they, 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 the competition is, is is getting really really tough. Um, but but I guess that's what makes better fighters, not not economic freedom fighters, but more, I guess. Um, but but uh, uh, so so I think the, the way I see it is, the, the the cost of banking should come down. But uh, I think there's a big aspect. Uh, from the regulator, where the regulator needs to almost support, especially some of these partner organizations, to enable them to provide services to the bank. So financial services is a highly regulated, uh, I guess, industry. And if we don't have a regulator that's supportive of the changes that are happening in the environment, then I guess uh, a lot of us, I guess banks in general and financial services providers, will not be able to uh, actually realize the full benefits of, of this world that we're going in. I think it's important for us to, 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 to ensure that uh, in whatever f way or form, we, we make sure that we take, we take the regulator along with us in, in, in this journey and, and, and help them understand where this world is going to. I was happy because uh, I think the Reserve Bank uh, uh, guy was here earlier this morning. Unfortunately, he can't be here to listen to these conversations. But I, uh, from, from our earlier interactions, I did get the sense that the, the, the Saab as well is a future thinking. They are thinking of ways in which to support fintechs and to ensure that uh, customers realize the full benefit of this, uh, I guess, new era of banking that we're going into. Fantastic. So, Lizanne. a quick point yes. on that is nobody likes regulation. I think we have an unbelievable regulator. 
their standards are incredibly high. Ask a new bank that has just had to go through that process. They are, they are incredibly um, strict with how they check you out. They don't let anybody just into the system. And the way they keep checking you, for me, it's a new experience to be so closely involved with the regulator. It's good people sitting there, high quality. So I think, and we saw it in 2008, um, after the crisis, the impact it had in South Africa, minimal. So, and, uh, and I appreciate the way in which they treat both incumbents and the newcomers in the same way, with an open mind, but with a very strict whip. Fantastic. We've got about 15 minutes, or more like 10, um, to take questions from the floor. I know Mark had a question. So thank you again. Um, the, 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 the sort of neo-challenges, I mean, one of the things you need is market share. That's how you're going to grow your businesses in what is um, questionably a shrinking economy. The question I have for you is, with the introduction of deposit insurance, where you get a guarantee for 100,000 rands with the deposits insured and covered, do you see that as part of your strategy going forward? Do you see that as having an impact uh, in the way in which you grow your share? I'd be interested in your thoughts around deposit insurance, whether you think that's going to be a material boost to you or not. So we've always had implicit deposit insurance up to 100,000. If you look at... Um, the way in which um, people were helped out with VBS, etc. Um, in terms of explicit deposit insurance, where it's um, legalized or, or part of the regulations, um, what I can say is when I was on the other side in the big banks, um, I was worried about deposit insurance because I knew people would then split their money across lots of banks and take it to the smaller banks. So that was when I was on the side of the big banks. So now that I'm on the other side, <laughs> it's definitely to our benefit. I mean, so again, it's not, it's not this is something that I pay a lot of attention to and a full understanding of. Um, but again, if, if you take the year and now, is that that, that might be a decision or a, a, an element in making a decision for 5% of the country. I don't think 95% of this country will look at, uh, does this bank have deposit insurance? If no, I'm not signing up with them. So, so again, if I'm a, again, I mean, I like to look at things from a customer point of view, is that, that I don't think that customers will even consider that at this point in time in, in, when making that decision. Because again, because I just don't think enough, of, enough customers know about it, enough customers understand what that even means. Um, I just think customers are going to start looking for real, real value. And, and, and I'm of the view that, you know, is economists and it's really learning economics, price sensitivity, I think customers are moving away from that. I think customers are moving to something we call value sensitivity. And it's only because they understand these things a lot better now. So, so even though you are so-called poor, I think you'd pay a bit more for something if you believe the value you're getting exceeds what you are paying for. So I really believe customers are moving towards value sensitivity more than they are towards price sensitivity. Obviously, price is still important, but I think the real thing is creating real value for customers. And I think that will, that will sway or swing. That will be always be the swing factor in them making that decision. Yeah, I think just uh, I think from our side a, a very similar view in that we're looking for 
Um, we're looking more fundamentally at how we drive deposits into the bank um, and from a, you know, from a perspective that, that makes sense for the client um, and don't see that as a, like a, a, a massive lever at the moment. So it's useful, but it's um, not kind of critical to our, to our value proposition. Um, hi. Um, so I think two months ago, I opened up a time bank account just to you know, experience it. But my question is largely around just understanding how do you guys generate revenues from uh, Time Bank? Because from what I've experienced, I haven't ha incurred any fees. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so even the interest rates that I'm getting there, um, I think even at FNB, I'd need to open up a fixed deposit of about five years yeah, to get the sort of interest rates I'm getting there. So you highlight a few important points there, right? So, so, so the. Let me first debunk is what I think his assumption is. His assumption is that we're not making money. What all he's pointed out is the amount of money everybody else was making off him before he banked with us. That, that's what he's pointed out in, in, in that instance because we've, I think we've now been conditioned to believe that banks can only make money by charging us lots of money. Now, the transactional banking fee revenue in South Africa across the banks is about 40 billion rand a year. That, is, that just makes no sense in a country like ours. You go north of the continent, that's not the case. You go multiple countries around the world, that's not the case. Like we've got almost like a 50-50 split between transactional fee revenue and, and, and interest revenue. So why we can give you the nice interest rates is we've got a very good treasure, right? So we still, we still make some money off, off balances and, and things like that. And there's, there's money to be made off interchange uh, uh, and, and things like that. And, and what a lot of people don't understand is that when you sell value-added services, something as simple as airtime and data off your banking platform, is that many banks still charge for that transaction. I know they've, a lot of them has made the change, but guess what? The, the telco is also giving you money for that. So, so, so any other bank, they're making a commission of the, of the airtime and data sale, and they're charging you a fee. So they double dipping in from a revenue perspective. And we've decided we're not going to do that, right? So we've, where where we've got almost where we've got little to no cost to provide the service, we don't charge. So what you'll see is that when you do start, uh, and again, it's 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 how the industry's been developed. Our most expensive transactions like cash withdrawal at an ATM, but that's because it's the most expensive transaction for us to make happen because they charge us an arm and a leg for a, for you to put that yellow card into any other bank's ATM. And to a large degree, depending on how much you withdraw, there's a good chance we actually lose money on that transaction as well. So, so the intention around the way we've priced is we've used pricing to, to help develop the financial behavior we leave is optimal for people. So if you, keep your, if you keep transacting digitally, there's a good chance your fees will stay zero. But there's also a good chance that your average balance will stay higher for longer in, 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 in that account, and that gives us as a bank or any other bank for that matter, a ton of other utility down the line. And, and, that's, what, and that's what we're driving. So, um, and you, I mean, we've obviously seen other banks have responded aggressive from a pricing perspective. Is, is that they most probably could have done that 10, 15 years ago if they really wanted to. Right? And, and, and I think that's just, that's just, for me, that's just fact. I mean, I come from there, as, like I said, as a standard bank. I think that's fact. Because guess what? Their cost bases haven't reduced. Right? But suddenly they can now all of a sudden charge to afford to charge less. No, they could have always done that. They've chosen not to. And I think, like I said, the, the real benefit is always going to be the South African consumer. And for as long as we can do what we do, we'll continue to do that to make sure South Africans benefit. Just, um, 
there are three principles for us at Bank Zero. The one is exactly as Cheslin said, that there's enough revenue coming from interchange and commission and all those places so that the customer doesn't have to pay. The second principle is that we're turning pricing on its head. Instead of saying that you pay for basic banking, a monthly fee, and then you get lots of bells and whistles for free, what we're saying is your basic banking should be free. And then if you want bells and whistles, that's your choice, and then you pay for that. So that's the second principle. And then the third principle is, um, also to what Chesna alluded to, is if your costs is a percent of 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 the typical incumbent's costs, then you can afford to keep your revenue very low and still make good profits. So, but it's critical that your costs are incredibly low. Just, just maybe just to add on this, and from a cost perspective, just to give you again the quantum of how of our operating model at least allows us to leverage some of these things is that that if you take if you take all the the bodies that work in our business that that we've got a direct or indirect cost for, we are sitting at about most probably about eight hundred people, um, uh, permanent employees, maybe two hundred and fifty people. Uh, we are running. We are acquiring the same amount of customers, if not more, than any other retail bank in this country on a monthly basis with a fraction of the headcount that they do it with. So th the next smallest retail bank in the country is 15,000 employees. We are running at the same rate of acquisition as they are. So, so obviously our cost base is substantially different and therefore we can pass on all those savings to customers. Um. Thanks very much. My question has a little bit partially been answered now, but I want to know what are the three of you guys doing differently from each other, and how do you, what's your, how does your strategies differ? I mean, I don't know what we're doing differently from them. I know what we're doing. <laughs> um, so I'll tell you what, 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 what we're doing. For us, it's about access, it's about financial inclusion. Um, so I don't believe there's many new to bank customers in South Africa. So so I think banks have done a great job in in making sure those rectangular pieces of plastic are in customers' wallets. I think that's an important that's an important first step. So that I don't believe there's many new to bank customers in the country. Um, I do believe that there's many customers not getting the right around amount of value out of a financial tool that's that powerful actually. Um, and 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 I don't think. Ordinary South Africans understand how powerful that rectangular bank card actually is for for their financial futures in terms of building risk profiles, in terms of accessing capital to acquire assets and things like that. It actually all starts with your with your bank card if you if you really go down to the to the bare fundamentals. So all we want to do is we want to put a rectangular piece of plastic in a customer's wallet that adds real value to their lives every single day. We want to provide a platform for them to understand how this thing works so that the generation that follows them is nowhere near the same situation they find themselves in today. And, and we just want to give them that platform in, an, in a manner that's extremely affordable and accessible to, to, most, to most South Africans. So a simple thing in our, in our, in our so, so Nick says they're going to do more than 500,000 customers and more than a billion. They must probably top out at 2 million customers, right? if they're lucky. They'll top out at two million customers. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm just teasing. Um, but, but the, I think the type of customer we're going to go for is very, very different. And we, a big, we've got, we've got 30 design principles in our business, and and 10 of them are dedicated to our customer, 10 is dedicated to our people, and 10 is dedicated to to businesses. And one of them in our customers is that we design for the 80%, not the 0.08%. 
and and just to give you a sense of how we make that trade-off in the business is that if anybody's got time bank you realize we don't have an ios app right but i'm sure there's a lot of iphones in this room but in the broader south africa there's almost no iphones so it's not worth our effort to build an ios app now and delay launching or delay adding a real valuable functionality to the bank account because we want to build an ios app right there's going to be a hundred people going to talk about it and that's it it's just not worth our effort yeah we've got a really cool We've got a really cool response of internet banking site that works really well on Apple. I mean, I've got an iPhone, so it's, it's a, it works really well on there. But we've got an Android app because guess what? More than 80% of smartphone users in South Africa is Android. So we're not going to spend the time and energy building an, an, an iPhone app for the benefit of a, of a handful of customers. And, and that's just one of the trade-offs we make. Do we want to build an iOS app? Absolutely. Only when the time's right. Okay, so... A few things that Bank Zero, what we believe we're doing differently. Um, I think we have to be careful to think this is a price war. Uh, a price war is only part of the issue. And the price war is more about this is the difference that we want to make um, in terms of getting more people into, um, into the banking industry and specifically businesses as well. But the war is not around pricing. The war is around providing relevant functionality. Unfortunately, I can't talk more about that now yet, even though we are live and we beta testing, we haven't done it publicly. So I think it's a functionality along with the pricing that makes a difference. And I think other than that, the real IP of Bank Zero and where the difference is, is that we didn't go out and buy a banking package. We didn't buy a single piece of banking package. Everything was developed from the ground up. And we could do it because the people in the team consist of heavy techies, but they also have very strong banking knowledge. Um, so we literally built our own platform, didn't buy a single thing, didn't have any consultants in, not, no suppliers. It's amazing when you buy the right hardware, what you can put on top of it in terms of open source that's available these days. And that's the difference for us. And then also we are segment agnostic. Um, not going for the inclusive segment, not going for the higher end that can pay the high um, banking fees, um, but going for anybody that wants um, functionality. Um, I'm tempted to have another go back at Chisholm, but I'll stop. I mean, I think they've, uh, <laughs> they've, uh, they, they, they've done an incredible job. Um, so I think we must compliment them. I, th I think just from, just from Discovery's point of view, um, I think as, as I mentioned earlier, we're really looking to do something similar and consistent with our business model in, in banking. Um, and that's really around getting people to, to manage their money better. We think there's a, there's a massive opportunity um, to do that, to give them very strong incentives to do that, and we know that if if we get those behaviours right, um, and we've seen it in the you know in the, in the card base that we that, that we have today, it unlocks massive massive value, and we can pass that back to to members. Um, and we think that that model is pretty unique. We haven't at least seen it anywhere, um, and we've been we've been looking around a lot. A lot. It isn't a zero fees model. It's a model that delivers value to people who are managing their money well, um, and by, by implication, that means you, it's, it's better for you if, you move, if you're managing all your money with us. Um, so so we're driving, we want to drive primary account usage. We, we think if we can get people to move their finances across us over time, um, it will, we'll be able to unlock uh, massive value for them and, and also deliver real, you know, real, real, real value in terms of a, advice, um, education, awareness, those types of things. 
Um, you know, we've got this, our, our business model is, is phenomenally interesting. Like we, it almost like contradicts itself in certain areas. We get people to live longer, um, but living longer means that your retirement provision has to be different. Um, you know, we now understand the links between your people who manage their health well and credit risk behavior. So, so we, we're going to try and use a lot of that to, to align like living better lives from a health perspective, living better lives from a financial perspective, and, and deliver real value to clients. Okay, so we've got a few questions in the audience. Um, are you willing to stay another 10 minutes to take a couple more questions, or do you want to chat to them on the side? So you've, you've got an option. Traffic's already bad, so like you leaving now doesn't make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Should we take what a couple more questions? What does your model say? <laughs> Are you happy for us to take the, the remaining questions? A few okay, more. That's, that's always a good thing. I thought half of you would be gone by now. Um, so yeah, let's, let's continue. Um, thank you guys for the great discussion. Um, personally, I think, just a comment first, it's, it shouldn't be all. I think there's, there are plenty of us to, uh, to, to be clients to all of you. <laughs> um, my question is um, regarding Africa. I'm passionate about Africa. And uh, do you have strategies from a neo-banking perspective uh, that are aligned to banking the rest of Africa, as we call it in the traditional banking spaces? Um, do you want FNB to answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> no. So, so, um, so again, uh, we, we've got a we've. So obviously we've launched in South Africa. We've got a lot of work to do. I think we've got a lot of work to do in the country first. Um, if 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 you get, if you ask me personally, should we be doing this in other countries, specifically on the continent? The answer would be absolutely. Um, I think there's many many countries around the world that 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 could make that could be that could benefit greatly from 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 solutions of this nature. Um, it's not it's not it's not a short term ambition for us uh, just yet. But it's definitely something something that we talk about in the business. Um, and again, like I said, we partner. We're driven by partnerships. So if 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 an if a, if a serious partner comes from the continent and says we love what you've done, we'd love to replicate in our own market. It's definitely a conversation we 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 would entertain. Um, and I, yeah, and I think there's there's tons of possibilities in the continent. So we've all seen what's happened in Kenya um, um, in the past. We know that's kind of the 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 mobile money kind of unicorn um, on 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 the continent, but but I think there's other there's other green fields on the continent as well, and and the country that always comes to mind for me first is Ethiopia, and you know it's 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 been it's been going below the radar for many many years, and I think they're making a massive massive um, stride now to start being I think an, an African powerhouse just by location population. You know the the infrastructure they're putting down there in the country at the moment, and and I was I, had, I was fortunate enough to to be there f five six years ago, um, and there was absolutely n almost nothing from an infrastructure perspective, but also very little westernization as we know it. So 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 I think that countries like that presents massive opportunities. You get the first mover advantage, uh, but more importantly, I think you solve real real problems. They also have got they've got. They've got Addis, which is a massive, obviously, call it a metro area, but then they've got vast, vast rural areas across the country. So, so things like this, I think, solves real everyday problems for, for, for people from Ethiopia, for example. But I think that the case would be the same in many, many other countries on the continent and, and most probably Asia for that matter. 
Yeah, well, for, for those of you who don't know, FNB does have offices in most of Southern Africa, except I guess Zimbabwe and Angola and DRC. And we also have an office in Ghana and Nigeria as well. So we, we are, and, and Tanzania uh, as well. So we, we are actively, I guess, operating in the rest of Africa. Just FYI. <laughs> Um, I mean, just uh, I think for the time being, specifically from a banking point of view, for Discovery, we'll focus primarily on getting the model right here before we before we roll it out. We have um, we have quite a quite a bit of experience in terms of international rollout, not so much in in um, in, in Africa, um, but we are starting to do to do more work in some of our other business lines. Um, particularly in Southern Africa, um, Kenya, Nigeria. So in future, it might definitely be a focus for us. But for now, specifically from a banking perspective, we'll, we'll be focusing in South Africa. My answer is very short. Um, definitely, yes. Um, we see the opportunities. Um, but I can't talk more about it right now. And we're definitely not doing it for launch. Um, my question is on uh, the wealth uh, space. Are you doing anything on life insurance, on stockbroking, on offshore investments? That's that's that zero point zero eight percent I was talking about. So not not us. Not not we we not we not we not doing that for now. Uh, but again, our, our our customers will always dictate what we do and when we do it. So so if if we believe that that's what customers start asking for, and the time is right, that's then then that's something we consider doing. But as of now, that's definitely in the 0.08 percent. Yeah. Yeah. F Felix, we'll be happy to have you as a client at uh, at uh, FNB Private Wealth, um, and also at RMB. We we can we can help you. <laughs> Just be paid to empty your wallets too. As I mentioned. Um, we will have a marketplace where you will have all those financial offerings over time. Again, not at launch. Yeah, yeah, we are, I mean, we already play in that space across a few lines, so it's, it's very important to us, yeah. Um, I guess there's more to Lausanne in terms of comparing traditional banking versus mutual banking. I'm just curious, how does mutual banking compare to crowdfunding? I mean, the differences and comparisons. The difference between mutual banking and crowdfunding? Yeah. That's an interesting comparison. Um, so let me first just talk about mutual banking versus commercial bank or a normal banking license. To the consumer out there, there's absolutely no difference. You can offer anything that a normal bank offers. Um, the difference come in, comes in in terms of how you're structured. So with a mutual bank, you can have your customers as shareholders. So if you're um, a deposit, um, depositor with us, then you can have shares in the business. What's the difference with crowdfunding? Well, I guess crowdfunding is about people putting their money there where they believe a certain purpose, and they're willing to support that purpose. Um, we do believe at Bank Zero we do have a purpose. Our um, byline is actually be the change. And I have spoken to enough people who want to come to Bank Zero to um, have the benefit of the zero fees, to have the functionality. But a lot of people are coming to say, can we please get shares in Bank Zero? So we get three questions at the moment. The one is, can we buy you and help fund the business? No. 
Then questions around um, can I be, buy shares in the business? And the other question is once we are live and you become a customer or public, then you can become a shareholder as well. And the third question is how can I become a beta customer? But yeah, in short, for, for crowdsourcing, it's an interesting way of looking at it. I've never looked at it that way. I guess there's similarities. As soon as we launch, the way the share structure will work is obviously that you share in the profits. So I'm sure that in the beginning, we definitely won't have the share plan right in the beginning because otherwise you share in the losses. <laughs> okay, so um, Cheslin, I think this is more no um, noted to you. You mentioned that you have uh, an Apple phone. So I'm just very curious to know at which incumbent do you bank then? Uh, so so um, I'm a Time Bank primary customer. So I was a staff member at, at, at Standard, so uh, Lizanne will tell you and, and Valentine will tell you, if you work there, you don't have a choice but to bank there. Uh, but I'm a primary Time Bank customer now, absolutely. Okay. Awesome. I just submitted my Time Bank statements for three months. Uh, uh, so so we, we're doing some testing on our, on, our, on our lending stuff, and it was a solid 30 to 40 pages over three months. So 100% so primary Time Bank customer. Okay, awesome. And this is a more different, more serious question. Um, in terms of the, the, the corporate banking side, lending to big corporates, I mean, neobanks, you don't op operate in that space, it's more the retail customers. Um, maybe more to, to F&B side, is that a potential threat in the future? So, so um, I, th I think I think there is traditionally uh, we we've been I guess uh, we've got healthy competition amongst the I guess the big four banks who who play in the corporate space where uh, I guess in, in if you look at corporate customers they um, their lending needs are not necessarily tied down to the bank to their I guess uh, primary bank and and generally corporate customers do not really have a primary bank they're more multi banked so I guess. That being said, uh, the, the lending space in the corporate uh, segment is is largely a very very open market. So so you can, as a corporate customer, you uh, you you can I guess uh, obviously originate a loan. If even if you're banked with RMB, you can originate a loan in in in, in APSA, and 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 it's, it'll still be fine. And and you also get situations where I guess you you get syndicated loans where I guess no one bank has got appetite to actually. Uh, participate entirely of the loan offering that's required and and a couple of banks can come together and say look we we can uh, pull our heads together and, and and share the risk in order to fund this customer so I think the, the competition there is very uh, I guess fluid if I can call it that maybe if I just can add on on so we have the view that that corporate banking space is pretty well served in the country at the moment so that's not something we we'd, we'd focus on However, we, we do believe there's real opportunity in the SMME space, um, you know, so, 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 so we're spending some time trying to understand how we can add value there. And, and again, we won't, we won't put something into market if we don't believe it's truly disruptive. So, so again, our, we, we take pride in the way you become a customer of Time Bank and how easy that is. I'm hoping it was easy for you when you did it two months ago and I hope it took less than four minutes. Um, but, but, um, so, so, so we think there's an opportunity there because we think that's most probably where that that segment of of business is not necessarily as well served as as we think they could be. So we think there's an opportunity there, and, and we're spending some time understanding what we can do there. 
I just want to echo that. That space below corporates and the smaller businesses is a huge gap at the moment. So we are launching with both individuals and businesses, but using the same app. And that's why it doesn't make sense for us to service big corporates, because they, need, they have fundamentally different yeah. needs. And the app will become so complex. Exactly. So we're sticking with the businesses and individuals. Um, hi. Uh, this is a question for the neo banks. So you spoke of the ease and speed with which you guys implement ideas. Mm -hmm. So have you ever thought of or planned of how you're going to keep that advantage as you grow and become more complex and develop legacy systems yourselves? Uh, that that that's always gonna. I think that's always gonna be the challenge, right? So so. I mean, in, in ten years' time, we will probably be an old bank, potentially the biggest one, but an old bank. <laughs> um, but. And we'll have legacy then without a doubt. And, and I think uh, for the leadership team in, in the business now, it's a, it's a, it's a constant conversation. And, and you know, we, the debate we have with ourselves is to say that in the same way we believe we've disrupted the market, you know, um, you know they say once bitten, twice shy. Capitec did something very similar a good couple of years ago. We've come, we've disrupted quite aggressively, we believe. And is that I think it would be really silly for us to think that somebody wouldn't do the same to us later on. So, so I can guarantee you, we are really working on ways of making seem what we've done old, and and we want to be the ones to do that to ourselves, not be caught off guard by having somebody else do that to us. So, watch the space. There's some other cool stuff coming. Yeah. I think we have quite an easy answer to it. Is we try and automate everything that we can inside our the business itself. So we do not want to grow as a as a back end, and we don't want to become complex internally. We want to remain small and nimble. So the moment that we start going over 100 staff members, we will seriously reconsider how we structure ourselves. So that's an easy way to handle it, eh? but not getting there. Um, yeah, so I mean, we've been very privileged in that we've been able to build up uh, kind of a you know, banking system from, from the ground up. I'm not a, I'm not a systems architect, but uh, like I can kind of reflect on a lot of the conversations there. And it really is about kind of setting up the thing with that view in mind. Um, yeah, I mean, do you guys know just everything that you can see today, there's a massive amount of happening in the fintech space, and a lot of focus has been around architecting the system to allow for this and to allow for, for, for the bank to interface very importantly in our case with the rest of our companies, um, so to which we think will give us leverage uh, going forward. So um, one of the difficult areas in servicing customers is the national payment system, which is a, a very heavily invested by the bigger banks and it's quite a cumbersome animal. Uh, so the question is, I mean, how do you fit into the national payments architecture and as a disruptor, are you thinking of disrupting that system or are you really looking at customer experience? They don't have to see what goes on in the back end. So we are very proud to be part of the national payment system. It's like um, finally growing up and going to school and you're now a big, big, big child now. So it, it's as you know, a big process and a long process, first of all, to get a license, then to become a settlement bank, which means that you don't work through a sponsoring bank as you initially did, uh, but to settle directly with a reserve bank, and then to have your own payment rails where you don't rely on a sponsoring bank, but you have your own EFT card, etc. rails where you directly link into the relevant systems at BankServe and at the card associations. Um, 
I don't see ISIS Bank Zero as disrupting those systems. It's more a case of as you get involved with it, you become aware of where things could become more streamlined over time. Um, especially, I mean, if you look at the national payment system, was built in the, the SAMOS was built in 1998. Um, so there are always ways which can be streamlined and made cheaper. Um, at the moment, we are just very happy that we're integrating with it and that everything is flowing and settling and balancing um, and that's happening in real time. So not looking at disrupting that at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think, Mark, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So again, I mean, we also obviously fully integrated. We don't, we don't have that sponsoring bank issue anymore. So, it's, so we're, also, we're also growing up quite quickly. But, but I think that's potential opportunity, right? I don't think it's something we're discussing now, but, but, but I think that's an opportunity. But I think with, with any of these things, the ecosystem becomes important. So, so it's one thing to disrupt it, and, and then you've got your own little standalone closed-loop thing that only adds value to a certain set of customers. I, I think the e depending on what happens to the ecosystem over the years, I think that becomes important. What, what I think has kind of been a swear word in South African banking, though, is interoperability. Has, has been a swear word in South African banking industry. And I think with the introduction of the neobanks and hopefully a couple of more in, over the next couple of years, we'll suddenly speed up those conversations. Because when, when there's slightly more than four or five big guys sitting around the table making the decision that impacts all of us, if there's more of them that are having to make the decision, they might have to speed up that conversation. Then that thing might look very, very different in, in 10 years' time from now. Yeah, I think uh, Discovery is in a similar position. Um, I mean, we uh, we've done a lot of work to get um, to get to the point, and a lot of a lot of our focus is at the moment at the moment is around how we leverage that capability um, to build out the banking proposition and to support our other um, our other businesses. Having said that, though, um, you know, we really like, like we a lot of our products effectively develop currencies. If you um, if you want to think of it like that, so. Whenever there are opportunities to kind of go out of the tra traditional space from a product perspective, we we you know we would do that um, quite happily. But at the moment, it's not a it's not a specific strategy of ours to um, to disrupt that area. Okay, thank you very much. I think we can all agree that was a very valuable discussion. It was it was great to hear from within the banks themselves. I think we spend a lot of time hearing about it and reading about it, but to, to hear firsthand is incredible, especially since you've all been on the journey from the beginning. And you know, and thank you, Valentine. I know we all gave you a very hard time, um, <laughs> so thank you for holding your own. So thank you very much. I think please just join me in in thanking our panelists uh, just for their time, their willingness to share their knowledge, and to open up about the great work that they're doing.